You're listening to the Guitar Heroes Podcast. And we're live! It's as synced as an octopus's legs, isn't it? <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Well, welcome to the Guitar Heroes Podcast number three. Yes, number three. And um, I am here today with Mr. Lee Williams. Hello, Lee. Hello, hello. Give, us a, give us a twang on your guitar, Lee. Uh, a twang. <laughs> Lovely, lovely. And I'm here with the one and only Mr. Chris Anthony Taylor. Hello, Chris. Hello. How's it going? G- it's going to be better when I get a twang off you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's disgusting, oh, wasn't it? That, that, that's good. And I'm, <laughs> I'm here, so we've got... So, so I'm here. And uh, we've we've got a special guest on on our podcast. I mean, third episode in, and we have a special guest. You can probably guess who it is if you listen to episode two. But um, doing the guitar—I mean, I've been personally doing the guitar show for six, seven years now. And believe it or not, I did my first gig at eleven. So I've got I got thirty years of gigging experience under my belt. And I have to say, this guy—he's um, he, he's a drummer—and I have to say that. This drummer is probably up there as one of the best drummers I've ever worked with. Well, well, I say best. What I really mean is cleanest. He's probably the cleanest drummer that I've ever worked with. So um, you haven't stayed in a room with him. Oh, that's a good point, Lee. That is a very good <laughs> point. Yeah, yeah. But give a big round of applause, everybody, from behind your Apple earphones, to Mr. Alan Varnfield. Way. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Al. Good night. See you later. Right, let's get back to the podcast. I've got a bone to pick with you, though, Phil. What do you mean up there? Up what there do you mean with up the there? best. Up there with the Well, you're not quite the best, Al. <laughs> you're up there with them. Oh, I meant to so, say mate. cleanest. You're up there with the cleanest. Yeah, Cheers. Lee disagrees. Thank you for having me on, though, chaps. I'm, I'm sorry to barge in on your guitar chat. No, I it's good. It's mind. not just about that. It's 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 about. Um, but we want everybody to meet everyone in the show as well, don't we? So I think it's good that uh, people know who you are because a lot of people are going to be listening to these podcasts through uh, through the guitar show, the story of guitar heroes channels and what have you. So uh, yeah, let's meet Alan Varnfield. Hmm. Well, there we go. We've met Alan Varnfield. <laughs> so shall we move on? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll see you next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we should also maybe mention that um, or, or, to everybody because they can't see what's going on. Obviously, um, mm. we are going to incorporate cameras at some point, I think. But we, we've kind of—it's an evening, isn't it? It's, it's what is it time? Is it around seven thirty-ish? Is it now? It is. It's very like civilized at the moment. Seven twenty-four. Oh, seven twenty-four. There we go. That's good. And um, so we thought we'd have a bit of a, a bit of a because obviously we're in different locations. It's a bit of a, a night in with the um, with the beer, isn't it? It or is. It's a, like, well, it's a lockdown lock and, and green tea. <laughs> Chris has got a green tea. <laughs> I, I'm go- I'm going to set the scene, guys. Okay, so just just be quiet a minute. Ready? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you ready? Hang on. Hang on. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's like ASMR, isn't it? It is. Oh, lovely. Now, can everybody tell what I'm drinking? Mm, Pepto Bismol. Bismol. <laughs> this is actually. <laughs> is that Calpol? Is, is that is that Calpol? <laughs> Calpol, yeah. Good night. 
this is this is actually um believe it or not a bottle of um <laughs> 1947 port wow oh lovely did you no, not the, the year it cost me 19 pounds <laughs> 47 you've been working on that one haven't you (laughs) i nearly got it right yeah yeah oh dear someone else talk i'm getting drunk well uh welcome to episode three this is episode three um and we are coming to you via the magic of zoom tonight because of course we're still under the uk lockdown restrictions so we're in our individual households and after 10-15 minutes of technical fun we have managed to get things running and then we're going to sync it all up later and hope for the best So thank you to everyone who's listened to episode one and two so far. We've officially launched the podcast now and I have to say the response has been great. So thank you, guys. Chaps, what are we talking about tonight? I think um, I think it'd be good to maybe um, talk a little bit about how we got into music. Um, as we've got as we've got Mr. Varnfield on the show as well, um, we could all maybe talk just a little bit about how we got into music and what got us into it, influencers and and, mm. and maybe things like that. That'd be sounds quite good. nice. Cause, yeah. uh, sounds good to I, me. Yeah, yeah. I just thought of that that second. This port is really good stuff. <laughs> I tell you what, I don't want to drink too much. <laughs> Do you know I appreciate a good port? It's getting close to Christmas too. Do you know what, Chris? This is actually. Um, Maybe maybe we could get a sponsor going on here. I don't know, but this is uh, Fletcher's Port. It's a ruby reserve from um, the Isle of Aldi, <laughs> or an Isle in Aldi. It's an Isle in Aldi. Sorry, that's right. He's well, that should uh, should pair up nicely with your uh, driving whiskey. <laughs> He's on form tonight. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you say that, Phil, but I've got a lovely Napoleon brandy here from another Isle in Aldi. So <laughs> I think we should be going for Aldi sponsorship tonight. Yeah, and we definitely, if anybody out there is listening who is maybe thinking of sponsoring, um, we don't want green tea that Chris is drinking. You can shove that. We want alcohol. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I could have said I was drinking, you know, Jack Daniels or something. No one one can see this anyway. In a teacup. Too honest. Mm. honest. (laughs) (laughs) So I tell you what, let's, uh, as as Al's the... um, the guest on the show, we should probably give him, you know, the first opportunity to say, uh, Al, who are you? Where you what, what you're doing and where you're from and um, and things like that. How did you get into this business, Al? Oh, dearie me. So rewind to. OK, Chris, um, <laughs> how did you get into this? <laughs> I'll set the scene, guys. Rewind okay. your your mind back to. Oh, if I was born in 1985, what year would it be if I, when I was 13? Do the maths for me, someone. What would that be? That would be 98. 98. Yeah. So there I am, young Alan in English lessons. God, that was quick for me. When with my mate Tom, who's also a very good drummer, and we fancied ourselves as class clowns. Do you have clowns. his number? <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Um, we fancied ourselves as class clowns, and we used to make up little drumming duet rhythms between us um, on the tables, just showing off in front of everybody. And um, and one day the English teacher said. Guys, I'm fed up of you annoying our, our English class. Um, here's, here's a form to sign up for drum lessons. Go and waste some of your energy there and, um, and stop interrupting our classes. So basically, yeah, me and Tom signed up for drumming lessons and, uh, and the rest is history, really. So as soon as I started drums around the age of about, like I say, 13, 14, I just completely fell in love with it and there was no looking back for me. Within two years of starting, I had my place booked at the ACM, uh, an academy, the Academy of Contemporary Music, it's called, um, the same uni where Ed Sheeran and, and people like that studied. So quite, quite a whirlwind, really, if you think from being 13, 14, 
never having any interest really in music as such or wanting to play drums or anything like that suddenly started drums and I just fell in love with it and fast forward two years I was leaving school at 16 17 off to, to uni and studying music so that's really how I started a lot of people have a story of them starting when they're really young drumming on pots and pans mm. and things but that was never really me I, I never really showed a lot of interest to be honest but as I say as soon as I started I just loved it um, so so what what music did you listen to before you started playing drums you know um, again I don't really have many memories other than kind of Michael Jackson listening to that kind of thing I loved Michael Jackson he would have probably loved me as well actually wouldn't he back then why can you moonwalk? Oh, right, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, can you moonwalk? <laughs> yeah. No, but no. I can sprint. <laughs> yeah. I'd have needed to, wouldn't I? Um, but yeah, so <laughs> make a quick getaway. Set the tone nicely there for this evening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I love Michael Jackson. Oh, do you remember um, Fine Young Cannibals? Yeah. Uh, do yeah. you remember that band? Um, she drives, drives me, me crazy. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I was yeah, literally yeah. obsessed with that song. And you know, when I listen back to it now, I really love it. And I love like the snare sound, that 80s mm -mm, sort mm. of crack. Um, so maybe that was sort of the first signs that I loved drums. I don't know. But yeah, so that was it really. And then as soon as I started playing drums, it really lit a fire in my dad as well, actually, who's my <laughs> biggest supporter and, and always has been really. And my mum too, but mainly my dad. And suddenly at the age of 14 my dad would tell me all about his favorite bands and i learned about the fact he went to see like Jimi hendrix at the isle of Wight festival and all these different mm -hmm. stories from from these great bands and one day we found ourselves uh in hmv and he took me over to the rock island and sort of handed over led zeppelin bbc sessions and was like listen to that son um and and that kind of like just changed my life really listening to led zeppelin and then Led Zeppelin 2, I remember getting for Christmas and hearing Ramble On was just like, ah, uh, unbelievable. I was up all night listening to that song till about three or four in the morning, just having it on loop. So loved Zeppelin, loved Metallica, loved all those sorts of bands. Any, any band with, with drums in really, um, like I fell in love with. So yeah, that was me. And then finished studying um, three years later from the ACM, left there with a HND and degree. In music performance, fat a lot so of does good, that, that does that mean <laughs> once you once you get the degree like that, does that mean you can work in McDonald's? Exactly. That's yeah. You're you're primed, ready for shelf stacking, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's great fun. It was great fun. But yeah, so went started teaching and started playing in bands and um, met Lee a few years later with our first band, The Longest Day, which we 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 sort of were, were in that band together and then as these things normally work out over the years you meet different people fast forward another 10 years and then i get a call one day from lee williamson oh this this chap one of my customers at absolute called <laughs> phil walker i was like who i've never phil walker never heard of her <laughs> <Yeah. Is she? laughs> and, uh, oh he's in this amazing show called the story of guitar heroes and um yeah he's he's looking for uh, a new guitar player and drummer what do you think i was like sign me up and we've <laughs> we've never looked back so yeah that's my brief you hadn't met him at that point though so. <laughs> we, had, yeah. we had another rethink later didn't we? yeah yeah <laughs> couldn't back out at that yeah, point unfortunately you signed but, yeah. a contract you're still here for what another 30 years is it now? <laughs> yeah. yeah 27 to go exactly and a deal with the devil <laughs> <laughs> oh, blimey. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I remember meeting. Um, well, obviously, everybody knows that um, 
I shop at Absolute Music, and that's where I met Lee many years ago. And I think what I was doing um, is when I worked for Line 6, um, I, I was doing some sort of demo thing in, in store, and Lee said, um, he said, oh, I've got to go around about 4 o'clock because I've got a gig with, a, with my band tonight. And uh, obviously I didn't know you were in the band, and then I just I started stalking him. Mm-hmm. And and on the old interweb and find out about the generations and and what have you, and and yeah, and then you know band members come and go, and uh, yeah, that's like I say, we we had a meeting in a, a pub in Dorchester, didn't we? Yeah, when we when we could go to the pubs. Oh, and, those uh, were the days. And yeah, like you say, rest is kind of history. Well, it's, it's it's nice to have you on board, Alan. It is nice to have you. Joking aside, it's nice to have you on this podcast as well. You, you probably won't be on for, again, but it's nice to have you this time. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, chaps. I'm I'm, I'm very pleased to be here, and it's I love pleasure. being in the band. I've got to say, it's the coolest show project band I've ever been in. The things we get to do, the things we've done in the two years I've been in the show already have been mm. absolutely awesome. We've been the length and breadth of the UK, Scotland, Ireland, England, haven't we, chaps? Mm, Um, And it's been amazing. So hopefully we can get back on the road again soon, eh? Well, when we do get back on the road, we uh, it's going to be quite interesting. Um, A few things have changed, and uh, it's it's going to be yeah onwards and upwards in a big way. I do believe, which I'm not going to say too much. I will say more as it develops and. Probably podcast number thirty will be, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's all onwards and upwards, and everything. Um, well, life's a progression, isn't it? So uh, I like to think the show is, is that it's about six. Year, well, by the time we get back on the road, it'll be our seventh year, um, and I think every year's got better and better. It's got stronger, and um, musicians aren't very good at um, complementing one another. You know, they, they tend not to do that. I've found. Um, you know, if you get a slight grin or 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 a bit of a head nod, then you go, "Wow, he must really like that," you know. But I do have to say, guys, I, I feel really, really lucky to have found you lot. I really do, and that's as emotional as it gets. And I'm going to have a drink of port now. <laughs> Cheers, oh, mate. God. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. <clears throat> <laughs> Except Chris. Chris hasn't done a gig yet. You've yet to prove yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know. but as, as we're on to Chris, Chris, tell us, um, tell us your name, where you're from, and. Um, I'm Chris. I'm Chris. Excellent. Similar to you, Al, I started quite late, actually. Um, you hear stories of guitar players picking up the guitar, like, like you know, at the age of four or something and become prodigies and stuff. But I, I was about the same age as you, Al, about 13 or so. Mm. Grew up in North London and, and Tottenham. Uh, grew into a family that was actually very musical. My brother played and my dad uh, sung and played in bands as well around uh, London circuits, pub circuits, and actually was um, involved in a staging company that worked with um, uh, large touring bands like the Eagles, um, Mick Hucknell, you know, Simply Red, um, Whitney Houston, you know, huge, huge acts and would put stages on uh, at Wembley and places like that. And uh, so there was always something, all these stories going on and um, always introduced to new records and things. and. It was when I, I think I moved to Weymouth, I was about 13 or so, 13 or 14, and I, I picked up, I just decided to give this thing a go. My dad had a lovely uh, 62 Strat at the time, and... Um, Ooh. Yes. Wow. Oh, that's uh, a guitar. You... That's a guitar, <laughs> That's <yeah>. an instrument. <laughs> so that's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, Chris's, Chris's story about how he started is... Frankly, weeing all over mine, isn't it? There's me <laughs> drumming away in English, and he's at Wembley. <laughs> no, I was. just 
no, these are all my dad's stories, to be honest. I just oh, kind of grew okay. up hearing all of this stuff. And um, yeah, and just one day I just thought, do you know what? I'll give the guitar a go. Um, my dad played. And it was something that kind of brought us closer together, if anything. You know, he was away working a lot when I was a kid. So um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it kind of, you know, we became very close and it was something we shared, you know, together as a father-son thing. And um, and actually later on, I actually started uh, performing as a, an acoustic duo together, playing a lot of music from The Who. Um, it was a, my dad's very into like uh, the mod scene, uh, the jam, yeah. you know, uh, Secret Affair, those, those kind of groups. And um, yeah, and as as my interest peaked with the guitar like i was like um given records from uh likes of david bowie uh peter frampton who still remains to be my favorite guitar hero of all time it was mentioned in the last podcast mm, mm. um i could never seem to i i just seemed to grow more more and more fond of that album frampton comes alive the more i listen to it and i need to get that on vinyl actually yeah it's, it's i've got it on cd too it's not quite the same i, I love all the crackles yeah. and everything it's just um but i just yeah, that's how i remember hearing it as a kid so uh hearing that now it's like you know it's it, uh, it's nostalgic in some way um but you know yeah, what we that, should do uh, guys i, I know yeah. i know it's been a bit of a um it's been a bit of a funny old year you know financially for everybody well, well the whole world but what we should do at christmas we should um we should buy each other an album we should do like a secret santa and and, and maybe buy each other an album that we think each one of us would appreciate i think that would be quite yes. cool yeah yeah, yeah that would be great good, actually yeah. and then the whole podcast should be just playing the album and then we can go to the pub <laughs> <laughs> So we've got to try and find an album that the other one hasn't heard of before, maybe. Well, or possibly. hasn't heard of. I mean, yeah. you could be aware of the, the album that's out there, but uh, never really heard it before. And you have to yeah. kind of take the opportunity to really get stuck in and really listen to it. And It should be a secret mm. Santa, though, shouldn't it? So, so mm-hmm. like, you know, we've only got one album to buy. And um, yeah. I'm going to have to start going through the charity shops now, I think, for you guys. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that would be, be quite cool, would that? You guys are get you guys are gonna get a now CD. That's that's what I'm gonna get you. <coughs> I don't want a CD. I want vinyl. <laughs> oh, oh, vinyl. Got, it's got to be vinyl for me and Chris. I haven't got Chris? a record player though. That's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hope I hope I actually get Chris as a secret Santa because I really want that Peter Frampton album. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Carry on, Chris. Don't let us interrupt. <laughs> um, no, but as I mentioned, I just um, all my life <clears throat> been surrounded by music naturally, and um, yeah, so. Uh, interest grew with the guitar I decided to study got a degree in music um which I was hoping to eventually move into teaching with but that never really worked out I just as soon as you um end up on stage doing a gig it's like I'm just gonna do this I think this is pretty good mm. um and like yeah just uh, it's, I don't really know anything else it just it's all, it's all I know how to do is play this thing Chris strings, what was um, a piece of wood what was your first guitar you ever got oh that was a um a vintage Ah. Um, uh, it was a black Les Paul. I wanted like uh, the Peter Frampton model with the three humbuckers. It was the closest I could get. And that was from <laughs> Rock and Pop in Weymouth. Um, John Story owned that at the time. Um, but yeah, great guitar. I absolutely loved that. Amazing. And um, it was uh, a year or so past and it came out to my birthday. And I remember my parents bought me a little Marshall amp. I was just over the moon. I was, I was like, I can't believe I got a Marshall amp. I got like this Les Paul <laughs> thing. And Absolutely I think everybody remembers their first Marshall, don't they? I don't. That yeah, moment I just had one. Get the first Marshall was like, yeah, I've made it. I remember I went into my room. My dad had covered, like, uh, put it by the side of my bed and pulled the, my duvet cover over the top of it. 
and so like, I couldn't really see it at first and then like kind of revealed it and I was like oh my god <laughs> and then yeah just door closed and like you ain't seen me for a few years and it's just um um oh, but yeah brilliant. just um uh, but yeah absolutely love um uh, just just love music and playing guitar and um and it's oh, oh at a young age I just uh well as soon as I picked up the guitar I say young age it's still, it's still young right um I knew this is what I was going to do for a living and yeah and I've done everything I can to make that happen and now here with you guys and and you've wound up here so it's gone well Chris <laughs> it's going well it's going very well <laughs> Yeah, Chris Chris has joined the show right at the point where there's a pandemic and we can't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since Chris joined the show, everything's gone downhill. I don't understand it. <laughs> Dude, what I about, what about you, Lee? Yeah, I, well, I started playing guitar when I was, I think, 11. Uh, but at that point, I'd already been... I'd already been... 2010, then. Sorry? 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, buddy. Um, yeah, I'd already been on stage doing like amateur dramatics and school productions, that kind of thing from around the age of eight. I think I was probably just encouraged into that by my mum because I was somewhat of a show off and needed to be centre of attention. So that was just a good outlet for that. I remember going to middle school and being given the option to start learning an instrument, which I was really keen to do. But for some reason, I jumped into playing the trumpet which didn't really pan out that well. I played it for like, I don't know, five or six years. And to be honest, after the initial novelty of it wore off, it kind of gathered dust and I just didn't progress with it. But <laughs> I I had friends around me who were getting into rock music and playing guitar. And once I saw that happening, I knew I needed to jump over there and get involved in that world. So I had an uncle who loaned me an acoustic guitar for a while, which was really cool. He drew me up some chords and got me on the right track. But then I remember getting my first guitar and it was a six pound nylon. Is that the most you've ever spent on a guitar, Lee? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think it was the best guitar I've ever had, that one. Uh, Yeah, I think we paid six pound for it. It was a three or four string nylon strung guitar. And I just got obsessed. I think I've I've got one of those minds that I'm just really kind of pernickety when I get into something. I like that, pernickety. <laughs> it's a good word. I love that word. Word, word of, of the day. Word of the day. There you go. Um, yeah, when I get into something, I just really get into it. I get obsessed with it. And, and that's just what happened with guitar through my teenage years. You know, the perfect time to be learning an instrument. Got all the free time in the world. And your mind is a sponge. So I can remember doing the cliche thing of putting in eight hours a day at the weekend just to learn new chops and learn new songs. But it didn't feel unnatural because, as I've said before, and I'll say again, I was very lucky to have this group of friends around me that were all musicians. So it felt like normality. We didn't play football. We didn't play video games. If you weren't in a band, something was wrong. So in our free time, we were learning songs, writing songs, recording songs on little tape decks, and then eventually putting on gigs. They weren't very glamorous gigs, but a gig's a gig. It was a case of getting your friends and family to come along and watch you at the local village hall playing you know, Nirvana covers and Green Day covers and that sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, it, it kept us moving forward until we hit that age, probably 16, 17, arguably too young to be in a pub, but we were at an age where we could go into the pubs and start earning some money. And that's really a you know, point of no return. Once you get that first paycheck, however big or small it might be, 
very hard to look back now because you're not going to go and get a summer job or a weekend job like other people at school were doing when you know you can go to the pub and earn some cash that's then going to fuel other projects. But all the while, that obsessive part of me just constantly chipping away at chasing down the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and trying to learn as much as possible, but knowing ultimately that you'll never get there. I think that's the beauty of it, isn't it? the more experience you get, the more there is to learn, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I guess that sums up art in general. Like you can work your entire life at it, but you'll never be perfect. It will never be perfect because perfection doesn't really exist. And I guess that's what makes it so appealing. But anyway, yeah, at that, that sort of age, I was finishing up at school as well. Never really got masses of encouragement from school because I, it kind of felt like if you didn't play jazz guitar or classical guitar, you uh, you didn't really get priority. Uh, having said that, I did get encouraged into the, the sixth form jazz band, like the big band thing, which was cool. At the time, I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. But looking back now, it forced me into a new world of stronger music theory based playing and just a different approach that I hadn't experienced at that point in my band endeavors out of school but I find, um, I find a lot of all girls schools are like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think a lot of schools are actually like that in general I, I hope that that's something that has changed these days I've I've not been in school for a number of years now but um, maybe you guys, as educators working in schools, maybe you could tell me. No, I, I think, think exactly. education in schools has definitely improved a lot. There is, you know, the, the options now to learn drums, uh, guitar and bass in, in most schools. I think it's great. There's, there's so much open to kids nowadays. And um, there's, so, you know, the drama. Um, there's just, just so much, you know, and outside of school activities and things. But um but obviously al you're a busy uh, drum teacher at the moment aren't you you know you're I working am. a couple of days at the moment a couple of yes schools mate i'm very very thankful that just you know even with covid i've managed to get back to school in september which made me feel a little bit more like me again after you know like many musicians six months in the abyss of, of doing nothing really um but yeah i've gone from teaching 60 students or so a week now down to 20 or 25, something like that. But, you know, I, I still feel very thankful for that. But, um, yeah, I think uh, music lessons in school is, is like more accessible than ever, really. Um, luckily, Lee, there's nothing like that in our school, certainly. That's good. You know, That's but good. I do I do know the sort of things you mean. There was often caveats which came yeah. along with with doing things, wasn't there? But but I mean, we're, back in back in the day, you could only learn music, really, like especially cool instruments like we play um in in secondary school um mm. but nowadays you can go you you know you can do drum lessons in infant school junior school right up to secondary school i mean some of the kids i start teaching at year seven they've already been playing for about five six years or something wow. um they got kits and all sorts obviously kits are a little bit more accessible and things so um and of course youtube i mean god youtube and social media has just revolutionized the game hasn't it really Mm. Um, I mean, I I still feel young at heart, but I'm constantly reminded by kids how old I am when I when they ask me my age and I'm like 35 and they look absolutely revolted like like <laughs> an, I'm an old man. But I don't feel that old. But then when I think back, I was buying VHS videos 
like Starlix. Do you guys? Did you guys have? Yeah, Starlix? Well, I had um, absolutely. One of the things I had was a Paul Gilbert, um, uh, Rocklix or something. I can't, yeah. I can't remember what it was called. Well, yeah, I had the Albert Lee and Brian May Starlix one. Did you? Amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. See, even a fan back then of Albert Lee and Brian, were you, Phil? Well, it's funny you, you say about um, schools and what have you. Actually, for my GCSE music, um, which I've got to be completely honest with, the music department in my school was absolute tosh. It was it was just, it was classical or get out. You know, the, well, there the, you the, go. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. And yeah. um, I remember I had a private guitar teacher, uh, Steve Walker, Who's, uh, who's a great player. And for my GCSE, we, he came up and we went into the, to the, like the exam room, if you like, and we, we did uh, Country Boy by Albert Lee. He, he did the rhythm part and I did the lead parts and, and then we swapped and things like that. And I think on the, you know, the, the report afterwards came back as something like, what a load of electric nonsense. Do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, I can't read a note of music and if that's what comes of it, I'm glad. You know, I know exactly. I'm just going to rewind back there a little bit, Phil. Hmm? Sorry, country boy uh, in GCSE. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long have you been yeah, playing for, Phil? Well, I started really, really early. I started when I was six. Uh, my my dad was a guitar player in the sixties, and uh, he well, he got rid of his guitar to to marry my mum, and uh, didn't play for years and years. And uh, when my uh, my granddad died and my grandma had a bit of money and she said for my dad's birthday I'm going to get you a guitar um, you know if you want to start playing again and so he, he got a guitar and I probably took it off him and I never gave him it back <laughs> <laughs> and so it was about six years old and then um, just Eddie Cochran, Hank Marvin uh, that's all I listened to, Dire Straits and then at 11 years old um, put a band together and did a gig um, yeah, I did a gig that Christmas when I was 11 um, with this very guitar that I've got now with my, my number one Strat. Um, so I was 11 years old when I got it. And yeah, we did a gig. I think we did about five songs um, in this working men's club. And, and, and that was it. It's, you know, hooked all the way. And me and my dad was a duo. Then we were a band and it progressed um, years and years down the line till, till I'm here. Um, wow. So yeah, I haven't really. The only thing, the only other job I've actually ever had was for six months. I drove a lorry for a window company, um, which was good because sometimes in this business I've had to drive a lorry for you know carrying PA around and things like that. So that mm. came in handy, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's been music all of my life since I was six years old, and I do not want it to be any different. Mm. That's amazing. I think the difficult think point for any musician comes. Not when they start playing. Obviously, you have your difficulties in learning the instrument, but the mm. difficult part comes when you leave school. I think mm. if you if you learn at a young age, that's the point at which you tend to see people drop by the wayside because obviously mm. that old saying, "Life gets in the way," doesn't it? So I think yeah. anyone who's able to transition, however long that takes, if you can make it from the point where you are that really keen amateur teenager in their bedroom playing you know chops all day long and learning and learning mm. but if you can make that transition through those first few years and get to a point where you're now getting some traction in a professional sense i think that yeah. is the biggest hurdle once you're over that and once you find your feet you're going to have difficulties but you're kind of you're now in the adult world and you're like i'm a musician now whereas mm. so many we i think we lose so many people there you do i mm. i, I 
a lot of it, I think, comes down to support. I think, um, like my parents, I have everything to thank for that. You know, they they supported me with everything. You know, if I needed Snap. a guitar, yeah. yeah, or something like mm. without them, I I wouldn't be you know having this podcast for you guys. Yeah. So right now, same yeah. here. So um, I I agree yeah. with that totally, Chris. I think yeah. it all comes down to money, unfortunately, doesn't it? it you know, a lot of the time. The, yeah, the, I mean, the, the desire yeah. to get a normal job and things. That's what when people often. Um, unfortunately, I have to give up the playing because it is so hard to earn a living from playing, isn't it, guys? Let's be honest. That's really interesting, um, Al, because um, I think you might be well, might hit home with you more because um, I find being diverse is really, really helpful. Um, mm. I mean, as you know, I've, I've played drums for sort of since I was thirteen as well. Um, sing, uh, play bass, and you know, I don't want to sound like a jack of all type thing, but it has come in handy being able to do all these different things. You know, yeah. um, like I played, oh, I played drums for about six years in a in a theatre show that's been touring around, and sometimes a lot of the people were like, "Do you, do you play guitar?" He didn't even know I played guitar. You know, <laughs> and, and it is about being diverse and 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 getting out there and not not being a one-trick pony if you like because if you find the guy that my mum and dad i can you know i've got a thank for that because i didn't want to sing and they bought me a mic and they made me sing and it was hmm. i didn't want to do it <laughs> you know i've never had any training i've never had a lesson in my life i probably should have but um they, they forced me into singing and, and i'm so glad they did because i know so many guitar players out there that would have got the gig had they been able to sing yeah you know um, totally right, mate. I think that's my biggest advice, and I feel a little bit of a hypocrite saying it to my students because mm. I can't play anything else. I can't sing for love nor money. I've tried to learn other instruments, but they just don't click with me. And going back to what you were saying, Lee, with the trumpet, it mm. just didn't light a fire in you. And I've no. I've had similar things with everything. I don't really feel like I'm a musician. I just feel like this thing. Like we feel the same, Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I'm glad you can I, admit that. Yeah, I, honestly, I approach drums. Ho like hold a sport, on though, really. hold on. You're pretty good on the ukulele. <laughs> these oh days, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Come to a guitar show, guys, and you'll see what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, so where was I? Yeah, I don't really feel like. Well, this is this for me is like the only thing that's ever made sense of music. However, with all my students, when they say, you know, what advice have you got? it would be learn another instrument, especially singing. Mm. If you're a mm. guitar player who can sing, a drummer who can offer some BVs, bass player, you've immediately doubled your sort of employability, if that's yeah. the right word. You know, I couldn't yeah. agree anymore, Phil, to offer BVs. I mean, we know from our show, for a start off, like Lee and Chris, both capable of BVs, mm. both capable of lead vocals as well. And mm. what, an, what an amazing thing that is. If, if another guitar player was available but could not sing for love nor money they just wouldn't get the gig would you That's agree right. phil absolutely um, yeah it's absolutely. as simple as that we i mean we're you know we're we're a big show that goes out and there's only four people on stage and you've got to be you know pretty special to to sort of make i'm not not, not this you know we're not the foo fighters or anything don't get me wrong i'm not trying to <laughs> say anything like that but we're not yet not <laughs> yet yeah not yet yeah no. but we we yeah you've you've got to be able to bring a lot to the table 
you know what I mean to do mm. this pure, no, not because we've got egos or anything like that we're far from it as like trust me but um it, it is about there's four people on stage people are paying a lot of money for a ticket we really have to bring it home every night and we have yeah. to give as much as we can uh, because there are four people on stage and, and I really really love getting emails from people saying what a massive sound you've got and and what mm. a full sound it sounds so accurate and all the and, and I do get things like that through and it's just it makes me think oh it's going right that's what we want you know it's so yeah the more you can bring um the better especially pot i think that kind of plays (laughs) a little bit into what we were talking about last time in episode two um making that transition between an amateur or a hobby and then when you decide it's something that you want to do for your career i think so many people struggle because music is a creative endeavor being Mm organized and thorough doesn't necessarily come naturally to artistic people so it feels very strange and I'm sure this is probably an ongoing struggle at times for all of us when you have to approach something that you love and something that's so creative in the moment but you then have to do the work side of it and you have to think of it in terms of if you were applying for another job you'd want to put your best foot forward and you'd want to make yourself as employable as possible for that job. It seems to be that when you when you now talk in terms of music, those principles kind of move to the side and people don't necessarily think like that because it's a band, it's a gig, but it is a job. So the if you mu- were applying the, for a it's banking the music job... It's business, isn't it? it exactly, and, it, and it's... It kind of sucks that you have to think like that and nobody likes to dwell too much on that side of the job. But to ignore that side of the job is probably going to mean that you're not going to you're not going to work or you're going to struggle, I think. And that that maybe opens up the other conversation as well about other important things that unfortunately a lot of creative people struggle with, like, Mm. um, you know, the, the, the timekeeping thing and just being like, you know, good attitude and you know let's be honest guys we're only on stage for two hours a night but you're with each other all the rest of the time aren't you hanging out so quite often just having the right attitude um you know all all the other aspects that come into the business side Mm. of things Mm. needs to be there to help your employability doesn't it i guess yeah definitely i think if you look at the look at all the pieces of the puzzle think of it like a pie chart you've got a percentage of it is obviously your your musical ability and your particular instrument but then there's then there's adaptability and that probably covers other things you can bring to the table so vocals other instruments but then there are all those other aspects which mm. i just don't think get talked about enough and that would be timekeeping your personality and how easy you are how flexible how dependable how reliable yes. and it's a shame to see fantastic musicians put so much attention on just that section of the pie that is the music side of it but then oh you didn't turn up for the gig or oh you haven't got a car you can't get to the gig or you don't sing and and therefore you know it's nice that you've put the work in you can you've got your chops but unfortunately we're gonna we're gonna go with this guy because they've they're a more complete package i guess yeah you know that that being um obviously the guitar show we've we've employed a lot of people over the years and that has been one of my biggest things it's not about playing you know because most people that come into this show have to be a certain standard of player you can't just be like a, you know oh yeah i can i can get away with this there's no getting away with it in this show you have to be a game top player you know 
but it's not it's not that that gets you the gig it's what sort of person are you because right. i'm i'm sorry i'm going to be quite blunt now i'm not going to mention any names obviously we've had lots and lots of people come through this show oh go on and well no i'm not going to mention any <laughs> names i won't do that but um you know some some guys i think oh you're an amazing player but you're a dick I'm sorry, but and and people can't work with other people like that because like you're right, Al. When we go out on the road, there's like six, seven people at least, and all it takes is one person just mm. to upset the apple cart, and Definitely. and and it, and it puts a bad atmosphere, and you don't do as good a show as possible. And and I'm quite I'm quite strict about that now. If if you're the slightest bit of a diva or an ego or a dick then I'm, I'm sorry, there's no room for you on, on the road with us, you know. And, and and I do feel lucky that we have got the people that we've got now because I think everybody, well, we're doing this podcast for a start. Um, yeah. Everybody gets on uh, and that is probably more important than the plane in some respects because it's your family on the road. You are family. You know? I think that's so important. I think it's, it's really interesting and it's easily forgotten when you're just, when you're a, a viewer of, you know, live music or anything and you don't necessarily consider everything that's happened leading up to the show go mm. in i'm speaking from personal experience if i go to a gig I, I watch the band i judge the band and i i think yeah that was a great night or i would have done this differently or whatever but you're not necessarily considering everything that's led up to that hour on stage or two hours and it's a very hard thing to measure but for you phil as the owner of the show all of those aspects just like individual musicality and you know, song choices and directorial choices that you make in the show, they're all important. But also the dynamic of everything leading up to that gig can be, what do we reckon, maybe a 20, 30% difference in how good mm. the show is? I think... Would you agree? I, I do agree. However, I think um, being a professional, like you say, the, the audience wouldn't know either way. You know, you might you might be on stage and you might, you know, you might look across at, at, at your bandmate or whatever you know, and you're giving it all the big licks on the guitar going, oh, we love each other. And then you're going, I hate you. Like, but, <laughs> but but nobody. So that's why you made every, that face that, at that's me it, That's it, Al, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do it to you a lot, yeah. Hmm. Now, um, th that's, that's, that's being a professional, that's show business. Um, and, you know, there have been a few instances, but um, luckily not in this show, that, you know, you, you do actually, you do actually go on stage in a mood you know but being the professional nobody knows that no um, i think you know. actually you i think you're right and maybe what i'm thinking is it's very easy to think about your own feelings and imagine that everybody watching is aware of that and i would hope actually that enough rehearsing and having all those kind of boxes ticked means that when the sh when we have those days that are up and down the show itself isn't affected maybe what i'm thinking mm. more is in your head you tend to think We've yeah. all come off stage and if we've had a bad day. Our tendency is to come off stage and go, oh, no, we had a bad gig. And actually, if you see it back, normally it's like, oh. It's funny, though, isn't it? When you say, oh, we had a bad gig and, and, and you think, well, what was bad about it? Um, I didn't change my jacket as quick as I normally do. Um, yeah. I do, do you know what I mean? When you sort of get up to a certain level, the, 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 the bad things, uh, the bad things that happen are usually out of your control. You know, like something might go wrong technically or or there might be a power cut. We've been there when that's happened and, you know, oh, that was a bad gig. No, it wasn't a bad gig. It was something happened out of your control that, you know, made it a bit awkward. Yeah. <laughs> and, and sometimes, guys, I've had amazing gigs, some of the best gigs I've ever played. And the day 
leading up to that gig, I felt absolutely like awful. Maybe I've been a bit <laughs> ill or a bit poorly or I've got a mm. terrible cold and I'm dreading the gig to come. And then it's amazing. Like I've, oh, I don't Al, know if you guys nothing have worse anything. being a, a musician having cold is worse than a normal person having cold because I tell you what, it, you talk about man flu, it's terrible. <laughs> I, I suppose the best example of, of what we're talking about here is the fact that we can all come off stage and you can all have an entirely different opinion of that show. You know what I mean? Mm. When we've come off stage yeah. and like one of us is like, that was amazing. We nailed it tonight. And someone else will be like, mm, you know, this bit could have, could have, we could have done that. And someone else might be indifferent. And then you could have the next night be completely different. Absolutely. And probably if you asked a member of the audience, they wouldn't have picked up on any of that. But I guess that's... Yeah. Yeah, and like you're exactly right. Everybody has their own gig on stage, don't they? It, yeah. it, you know, there's one night where Lee might go, oh, my monitors are not quite right. I might go, yeah, that, I'm not feeling the guitar sound right. Or, you know, mm. Chris would be like, yeah, there's something not going on right there. And Al will go, drums. And, <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> that was a big build-up for a load of rubbish. That yeah. Right, I, right, the, chaps. The funny thing I, is I knew it was coming. Us three, <laughs> us three. So, Chris, I've got an idea, and yes. I'm going to put this okay. to you live on air. Because I've said it in episode two, I'm talking over trousers. you. We're all talking over you. So I'm coming up with this. Chris's corner, okay? Chris's, Chris's cor corner. Chris's corner is a safe space for a few minutes where you can have your say on something, and we're not allowed to interrupt. Do you okay? know? I just I'm like I'm watching this on the screen. I'm like oh, I'm really enjoying this podcast. This is great. I'm like a viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shame. I wish I was oh. part of it. Oh, <laughs> oh wait, wait a minute. <laughs> so Chris's corner. Oh, are you ready? I'm ready. It better be good. First one. Here we go. You put him on this the spot. Hang on a minute. Oh, he, he doesn't even know like what he's going to talk about. <laughs> okay, Chris. Uh, completely uninterrupted. You don't know what you're going to talk about. You're, I hope it's good. Are you ready? Phil, Chris? I'm looking at you. No interruptions, all right? No interruptions. Yeah, uh, over, over to you, Chris. Are you going to ask Well, that was great. That went really well. That <laughs> did, didn't it? <laughs> I it's, like like a, it's like a mindfulness <laughs> moment. It's not like it's peace and quiet. It's, it's like, we'll come up with a no, jingle, Chris. We'll come up with a Chris's we'll corner jingle, something for you um, in future yeah. do episodes. A, do a Ricky Gervais. Oh, champ, <laughs> champ do you, easy that. <laughs> do, you need, do you need a minute to think of something, Chris? Okay, well, I'll tell you what, Chris. Hang on. We'll give you a second to give you a, a Chris's corner. We're going to add another new segment to the show. Hey, and I, I guess what we could do, guys, is... Um, have have we kind of wrapped up that section before maybe we could just summarize that and say you know for all you aspiring budding musicians out there just to summarize learn some other instruments say yes to everything be a cool person well i think you've just said it we're live on air now yeah <laughs> okay yeah exactly no yeah. it's a good point it's a good point. yeah i'll say um, yes to most things i mean al you've got to be a bit careful there i mean i once wrote to jim i'll fix it for christ's sake ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> there was that one time in Thailand I said uh, yes to everything, and that <laughs> I ended up in trouble. That explains the limp, then, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they're good uh, points. They're good points. One thing I was going to add in amongst all that, because we did that was a, a a long tangent we went on there, but I think there was hopefully some useful information some good stuff. in there. There's good stuff in there. Um, you mentioned about having parents supporting you. If you can have, if you've got that, then that is great. That is, you know, that is a situation to make the most of. But it, if you haven't necessarily got that, I don't think it is the end of the world. What I would say on that subject is a support network in general 
And that can come from your family, but it can also come from friends and peers and colleagues. And one piece of advice I always gave people, because I used to get asked at the shop a lot, like how you progress, how you get in bands, how you get gigs, is just meet people, put yourself out there. And I think this is an example of that. Uh, You know, Phil, you said about you looking at Alan and I in the band, and that was Mm. through our conversations in the shop. I'd actively Mm. engage with people at the shop. And actually, Chris, as well, our relationship started you were another customer of mine in the shop and you were engaging with me because you're a musician putting yourself out there wanting to tell me about your work and I was doing the same to you and you do that enough and that's where your work is going to come from and that's where your bands and your projects are going to come from they're not just going to come out of thin air they're going to come through conversations meeting other people and just kind of positively engaging with other musicians whatever level they're at they could be complete amateurs who've just been playing for six months but they might get a gig in a year's time and they might remember that conversation i'm sure we've all got examples of that as well where you've bumped into someone and then you've planted a little seed and two years later they've phoned you up and gone remember that conversation we had i've got a gig coming up are you up for jamming or you know and off you go you're into something new that's how all of my musical experiences have come about, I think, really, because mm. there's no job board as such. Mm. So that would that's yeah. just a little footnote to that but kind of section. Net, network. Another thing network as well, uh, this so happened important. to me as I was playing in bands, because obviously it started so young, is that if you're an older musician and, you know, a young kid comes along, you know, don't think, oh, cocky little, you know, ain't in my band. Give, give the kid a chance. You know, because thanks to a lot of older musicians, because at the time, it's flipped the other way around now, but at the time I was always the youngest in a band. And, you know, I thank all those older guys that gave me a chance. Yeah. It gave me great experience. So give the young kid a Mm. chance. You're listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. We've got a new section, um, a new section. Yes. Okay. Cue the music. Just okay. to explain. No, just. To oh, I tell you what. Actually, <laughs> let's use let's use a drum let's use a drum fill. To no, take no, us no, into guys, guys. We we should just explain as well that Phil's actually prepared his own jingle for this part. He sent it oh, to me, right. so you will get to hear it there. All <laughs> oh, right. Do you, want to, do you want to hear it? Do you want to hear it? <laughs> oh, should we surprise them? Yeah. No. Let, I, no actually, listen let, to the let, me, let me wait thing. for it. Let me wait for it. Listen to okay, the. Okay. We'll, I'll we'll stick wait it in the finished edit. Okay. So let's do that bit again then. Right. So new section. It is time, ladies and gentlemen, for Phil's Rant. Cue the music. Phil's Rant. Phil's Rant. (laughs) Okay, so the guys in the show know that I I can tend to go off on one a little bit. And it doesn't have to be about anything important. I could go off on one for hours about nothing, you know. But there's certain things that really grind my gears, all right? And one thing is... I did a gig uh, with a friend of mine. I haven't done a gig with him for a long time, but believe it or not, it was um, it was in October and no, it was beginning of November. Sorry, and um, right at the beginning of November, before lockdown, we did a Warner's gig, and um, it was a Monday night. It was nice to do it, and I said, "Can I use your guitar?" Um, obviously, I, I took my three three five, and um, it's an acoustic gig as well. So I was doing acoustic guitar work, and this this friend of mine had just bought a Gibson J forty five Deluxe Custom Shop, and I said, "Do you mind if I use yours?" Because I love Gibson J forty fives, and 
I love Gibson. Let that be known right from the start. I'm a massive Gibson fan. I've got Gibson three. Gibson guitars. Gibson guitars. Um, and I took this guitar out of the case and, oh, it looked fantastic. And I nearly had a slight crisis as I took it out of the case. It was beautiful. <laughs> and I played it and the frets were shocking. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I've I've recently just bought a new Gibson. I bought um, a 60s uh, 335 model. And everything about that guitar is perfect. It's a 2018. Um, it's perfect. It plays beautiful. It sounds really nice. Why can't Gibson be consistent? I mean, this is a J45. It's a custom shop guitar. And mm. the frets were awful. They had the, they were sharp. I mean, I've got to be honest, I'm going to put my neck on the line here and say it's the nicest acoustic guitar sound-wise I've ever heard and ever played. Um, I am, I'm going to get one because I just, you know, but I am prepared that I'm going to have to have fretwork done. And why can't Gibson get it together? Why can't you be just, you know, the same for every guitar? I've got an SG, which is absolute toilet. It's rubbish and I've had to have loads of work done to it. <laughs> It's so frustrating. And then I get a 335 that's beautiful and absolutely nothing needs doing to it. It's an absolute corker. Um, wh why can't you get it together, Gibson? What, what, well, what I think we should, we should pose that question to Al because he's our guest wow. for this evening. So, Alan, why can't Gibson get it together? <laughs> no, but Al, I mean, being a drummer, you wow. must have like, bought something that you've always wanted, maybe a snare or a triangle or a cowbell or something like that. <laughs> and, and you know, you must got it, get it home and go, oh, why have I just wasted three pounds on this drum? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, you know, gear, even big names get it wrong, don't they? Um, but mm. yeah, it's funny that a company like that consistently get it wrong. But hearing, hearing Lee um, over the years when he was um, working at Absolute, bemoaning the, the many weird <laughs> things that these great guitar companies seem to do, the strange things they, they decide baffles mm. me. I mean, I, mu I must say from a drum perspective, <clears throat> most companies get it right consistently and there seems to definitely be a bit more of a drum community, not only amongst drummers, but manufacturers as well. Um, mm. I don't know. I don't know if that's just my experience. Maybe somebody who's a little bit more on the other side might know, but yeah, I'm afraid I can't offer any insights into the Gibson thing, guys. You're on your own there. <laughs> it is frustrating because in my experience, it always seems to be uh, just the quality control, just the final part. It's mm. not like they're making something hideously wrong. They've been doing this for decades, but yeah. it seems that the peaks and troughs in the quality of these guitars and maybe the reason why the reviews do tend to fluctuate it's just that final part of the process it's just the quality control you make a fantastic guitar that's going to hit the shelves for like two three thousand pounds and then you forget to take sawdust out of the case or <laughs> you forget to just file that last fret or mm -hmm. the setup is terrible that always shocked me that guitars at that level would come to a shop and the setups would be awful like they've not mm -hmm. been touched this is the, they sell them as though they're supposed to come out the case ready to play and there are very very few manufacturers that that is actually the case it's normally that you need to spend an hour or two on this guitar to then get it into a um a condition that is saleable really because the mm. setup i've seen it many times the setup is what is going to sell the guitar if you can't engage with that guitar if the setup is awful then you're going to pick that up and play it and judge it and think this is a naff guitar 
if you can Lee, put a good setup, I, yeah, go for it. Can I interrupt there? I w your opinion mm. from your days as guitar shop manager, Absolute, mm. give us the companies that consistently got it wrong or the ones that were really good. Well, we're <laughs> trying for Gibson sponsorship here, so I should maybe bite <laughs> my tongue a little bit. But um, I, no, look, Gibson's history is checkered, particularly over the last decade or so. They've had ups and downs. And like most things, they've had good and bad eras. Um, Fender had, you know, ups and downs as well. And they've had eras that some people are not so fond of and others that seem to be, you know, almost godlike in their production. But Gibson, unfortunately, were that brand that were consistently inconsistent their quality control seemed to be so variable and you could get a guitar that would be five or six hundred pound and it wouldn't have an issue at all but then you could get a guitar that was three or four thousand pound and it would turn up with sawdust or it would turn up with a string missing or it would turn <laughs> up with the keys to the case missing like just silly little things that's what i'm saying it's not mm. like you don't know how to build a guitar or you're using the wrong woods or blah 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 it was like it's the finishing touches and on the flip side of that, the brand that sticks in my mind for getting it right consistently is PRS. I thought you'd say that. They're, whether you like their guitars or not, they're exceptionally made and their, their quality control is just world class. There are many, many cases out there uh, of evidence where if the guitar didn't meet a certain standard, it would just go straight back through the bandsaw and it would be put into recycling and it would never leave the factory floor. Or do you know what? When you mentioned PRS there, Lee, I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. Um, when I worked for Line 6, we, we had a, a new PA system out, and we actually did a gig with Paul Reed Smith. We we supplied all the sound, and I actually did. Oh, wow. it, it, no, no pressure, but I did front of house sound for Paul Reed Smith. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. And, and exactly. uh, Simon McBride. So that, Amazing. That, there was no pressure, but that's when I lost most of my hair. <laughs> 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 and, uh, yeah, it, it, it was... The the guy is just he can hear things, mm. you know that 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 the, the norm, normal people can't even dolphins can't hear things that this guy can hear. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and when he explains that, you know, because we're on the desk and he came to the back of the room with me and he's going, oh no, this try this, and he's making like point two of a dB, you know, on a certain frequency, and he's going, that's it. I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking about. You know what I mean? It, but this guy obviously can hear something. And that, I mean, I'm not, I've, I've owned one Paul Reed Smith guitar in my life. I don't intend owning any more. Not for me. Um, but I completely get the perfection. You know, yeah. they, are, they are phenomenal guitars. I mean, even the, the nut on a, on a Paul Reed Smith, the work that goes into one of these nuts, you know, like Gibson just go, oh, yeah, we'll just get a nut and we'll just file it down and we'll stick it in with a bit of super glue or whatever or <laughs> or we'll nail it in, whatever. Pff, quality control, there we go. He's drunk anyway, doesn't matter, let's send it out. You yeah. know, all that type of thing. But this Paul Reed Smith is, yeah, it's fanatical about quality. And I think that, it, I think it's in their company culture, as far as I can see. It, it's the the environment that you create as... It comes from the top of the chain right the way down. This is probably mm. true of any business, um, even bands. The environment you create will affect the final product. And with Paul and his company, it comes from the top down. And everyone, floor managers, the production, the distribution, the marketing, they're all aiming for the best. And 
the guitars would be set up multiple times before they leave the factory. The quality control is fantastic. You're certainly not going to find uh, sawdust in the case. Yeah. And then when they land in their respective company of sale, uh, country of sale, so if they're being shipped to Europe or they're going overseas to maybe the Far East or wherever, they're then checked again and their distribution is equally as tight as well. So that if anything has happened in transit, any damage, any breakages or just set up tweaks, they're then looked at again before they hit the shop floor. So when they arrive, you open the case and we look at it and go, that's a saleable guitar. We have to do very, very little to it, mm. if anything, and it's ready to go on the shelf. There, There is only one downside to PRS, though, guys. If you're on a gig and it falls off a music stand, <laughs> um, it done then too good, does it, Chris? And there we go. We've got our topic for Chris's Corner. So over to Chris. Come on, Chris. <laughs> so, Tell us the um, story, Chris. <laughs> So Lee actually sold me a PRS many years ago. And it wasn't uh, broken PRS. when I sold it to you, I can assure you that. No, it was, it was pre-owned actually, um, but in absolute mint condition. It was a Custom 24 USA. Uh, it was probably the most money I've ever spent on a guitar. But um, I think I, what did I, I come back like three times to try that guitar. I was like, I'm not sure. It was like a toss-up between that and another PRS. I think there was like a 30th anniversary or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, but he does that buying an ice cream. He wants to make sure that his 89 pence has gone into a good cause. Isn't it, Lee? <laughs> it's important. It's important. Um, but I tell you what, it was probably, um, it's probably the best guitar I've ever owned just because it gave, it gave me confidence going into a gig knowing it's going to sound awesome. It's going to hold its tuning. It looks the part and it's so easy to play. Yeah. The only thing for me um, is a, I don't I can't put my finger on it. When I pick up a strat, I'm like, I feel like I'm at home. You know, like Snap. Um, it's yeah. just I, I can't I can't tell you what that is, why why I feel that way. It's just and I do you know what I think I like the imperfections in, in guitars, searching for that that one guitar because the thing is obviously with Gibson and Fender, you know, you've got a variety of models that uh that people, you know, cling to a certain eras like some say like Gibson's and, you know, uh the nineties are probably one of the best eras or something and um, but I think you're always on that hunt for that one Gibson because they're so inconsistent. It's like, oh, I found the one, and I don't know. Mm. I quite like that quest myself. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. I know what you mean. I was the same when I found my three three five. I was the same when I found my Les Paul, and when I found my SG, I wanted to paddle down the river with it. You're I mean, in a slightly uh, strange situation, though, Phil, in that you you have a guitar collection that some of which are real personal purchases, but mm. many of them are serving a role in the show aren't they they're almost the cast of the show themselves so well well yeah and that that was the same with the sg um yeah. had i have had more time we, we decided to we got so many uh, i think it was the first couple of years we've been out we didn't put acdc in and then we got so many requests for acdc and you know it, it was getting painful i got in so many emails where's angus you know it's like right, we need, we really need to do ACDC on the next leg of the tour. I think we'd uh, we we broke for Christmas, um, and it was in that sort of two or three weeks over Christmas. We were back on the road in January, and I said, right, that's it. We've got to put it in. And nobody had an SG. I couldn't find one second hand. Certainly not what I wanted. I wanted an SG standard. I wanted the block neck. I wanted a red one, um, and I couldn't find one apart from Coda Music. They had one in. Um, Stevenage, aren't they? Yes, they're, they're that's based. right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they had one in, and 
um, it, it was damaged, so they knocked quite a, a couple hundred quid off the price. So I, I drove up there from Weymouth, and I got the guitar, and I thought, oh, this isn't bad. And then I looked at the back of the headstock, and it had the stupid robotic tuners on there. Oh, what are they called? The G-Force tuners or something? Oh, like yeah, that's it. Chris, oh, what a waste of time. Honestly, oh my God. I, I, I put new strings on it. And the, I set it to tune itself, and the D string just kept winding and winding and winding till the motor went in the thing. And I was like, well, oh, the this snaps, is gigging yeah. in like two weeks' time. And, and, you know, Coda said, yeah, yeah, no problem. It's under guarantee. We'll get one sent. When will it be sent? Oh, three to four weeks. I'm like, well, we're on the road in less than two weeks type thing, you know. So Robin Absolute just, he, he yeah, he says these things are a load of toilet. So he took it off. And uh, we put some Grovers on there. And I'm, I'm like, that. yeah, that's my experience of the 2015 so that's, that's, Gibson did, did SG. Anyone, did anyone else spot there that Chris's corner morphed into Phil's rant? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, you never said that we'd changed it. I, I, I thought it had done. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm so sorry, I know, but Chris. It, it led direction for something else, didn't it? Anyway, it's fine. Oh, it's obviously it's quite, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's piercing my heart as this, you know, the, uh, the old Gibson thing. Please get it. I, I can see that. It we've is. we've struck a chord there, pun yeah. intended. Yeah. Um, right, chaps, my, what, the, my um, drink's running empty. I was going to say, we. I know this is the Guitar Heroes podcast, but maybe we should just, um, while we've got Al here, Al, we've been talking about guitars and about equipment. Um, you own a number of drum kits. Why don't you give us a breakdown of your favourite drum kit that you own and tell us yeah. why and how, and how you came to own it? <laughs> That's a big question. Well, if you want a complete studio tour, guys, I'd recommend you go on to the Guitar Heroes YouTube channel, which is Phil Walker, guitarist. Is that correct, Phil? It is. Um, or the Story of Guitar Heroes Facebook page, where you can see a studio tour of my little drum cave here, and you can hear all about the drum kits in depth. But just to answer Lee's question, I'd probably say, um, for sentimentality, uh, my Drum Workshop 7-piece DW kit over there in, in black velvet. That's probably my, my favorite kit. It's not really a kit I enjoy playing on much anymore. Um, I've, I've got it set up as a teaching kit in the studio, but um, it, the reason I don't enjoy it so much anymore is because I've sort of evolved as a player and I kind of prefer playing more vintage, bigger sizes now, whereas that DW is fusion sizes. So that means it's smaller, punchier sounds. It's got a 20 inch kick. Um, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16. Um, so, yeah, but the reason it's sentimental is because my parents bought that for me when I was fresh out of uni after doing a degree. Um, and what were we saying earlier in the show, chaps, about parental support and mm, all that? Mm, yeah. um, I mean, that kit cost my mum and dad, you know, three grand at the time. And we're talking many years ago. And they, you know, we're very much a working class family with normal jobs. So, that is a serious amount of money for my family. So like it's many amazing. things, it, it went amazing. on the it went on the credit card. Um uh something that like I kind of follow in their footsteps now <laughs> with <laughs> putting drum kits on. <laughs> if in doubt, get out the credit card. So that that's the DW. But you guys won't be able to see this, unfortunately, because we haven't got um the video cameras. But I'm currently sat behind my 1970s Gretsch kit. And this is very much in player's condition, which basically in guitar terms means the strings are hanging off. <laughs> knackered. Um, knackered. Crap. Knackered is the tip. Yeah, crap. Doesn't stay ready, ready for the tip. Um, but yeah, so, but um, it means I don't take it out anywhere 
because it's fallen to bits. But in the Thank studio environment, yeah, in the <laughs> studio environment, it just sounds lovely. It started its life back in the West West End, which is a topic I cover in the studio tour video. If you want to check it out, actually, um, Al, it was on... um, yeah, people can hear and see that kit because if you go onto Phil Walker guitarist on YouTube, you'll see there's two uh, there's two lockdown videos: Sultans of Swing and Hammer to Fall with with Brian May, and uh, yeah. you, that's that's the kit that you're using. Exactly, mate. Yeah. And I love recording. It's constantly set up. It never moves. It's really solid, consistent. It sounds great whether I'm playing rock, metal or country. Um, I've got a range of snare drums at the moment. I've got the Ludwig 400 on here, which is the most recorded snare in history. This is the sort of thing Gad was playing back on the, in the day on like 50 Ways to Leave You Lover and, and great tunes like that. Um, but to, to summarise the drum kit segment of the show, guys, my favourite kit of all time is the kit you can see on stage with the story of Guitar Heroes. It's my 1960s Ludwig Silver Sparkle. And as I say, vintage kits really speak to me. Chris, it's a, it's a bit like what you were saying, mate, about the Gibsons. Although they're annoying, you know, mm. when, you, when you find that one and it connects with you, and it's same with me with vintage kits. Yeah, they're rickety and I might be playing the floor, Tom, and the leg drops on it, you know, and it ends up on the floor, but you just can't beat the feel no. of it and anytime I play a new drum kit it's like oh I just love old stuff and um, that and that is why I would never be a guitar manufacturer because right how can you strive companies like PRS and yeah. lots of modern brands that strive perf for perfection they're always going to be fighting a battle against exactly that that yes. old stuff is cool and things that have mojo and a story are always going to be cool, particularly to musicians, because so much of our our influence is embedded in the past. Yeah. So it's always a tough line to toe where you want to make the best thing that you can make for the modern day, but embrace that history. Absolutely. And I think that's just a... I think forever. that's why Fender maybe haven't moved too far away from their design because, you know, it's got that, that attachment to yeah. the 60s and 50s models and... With just some modern tweaks, you know, for the modern player, playability, mm. you know, different radiuses on the necks and things like that, different, you know, silent, um, what are they called? The noiseless, noiseless pickups. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You know, but it still has that, the aesthetic of, you know, the vintage models. And that's why I quite like them. And, um, but you mentioned something out as well. Um, as you evolve as a, as a musician, your mm. taste does, does alter as well. And I find that the older I get, the more I kind of want to go towards more vintage models myself. When I was younger, I was always like, oh, you know, idolizing guys like Steve Vai on a, an Ibanez and like I had a Jackson <laughs> with like the shark teeth in the neck. And <laughs> nice. Yeah. But nice. now I'm like, I just want something cold that stinks, you know, and just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, like Phil? You want some of my underpants? <laughs> How would you like that, Chris? <laughs> they're, they're far too vintage, they are. They certainly stink. <laughs> i tell you what though, guys, can we talk about, can we talk about dream equipment? Because. You guys know I keep sending you, especially you, Phil, links to to Ludwig Vistalite kits. Guys, if you've never checked out a Vistalite kit... Oh, those are the links you send me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Less said about those, the better. It's a family show. <laughs> but no, Vistalite kits is, is, are those like plasticky, vinyl, see-through-looking kits that Bonham mm. would play back in the day. And I really want to get the Ludwig Zepp set, it's called, which is like a a reissue um, of, of what John Bonham played back in about 1976, I think. Huge size drums. I was talking about the Fusion kit earlier. This is completely the opposite end of the spectrum. 26-inch bass drum, 
Um, and that's just the start of it. I really, that is my dream kit. I'm going to get one. Phil's having a heart attack thinking about how we're going to fit it in his van. <laughs> my left but... ear has already taken enough punishment from you over the years. Please, no more. The drums cannot get any bigger or louder. <laughs> there will be a way. But well, guys, if you add, let's pick a figure out of the air. I was thinking five grand. Um, Won't touch the surface, mate. No, well, I was thinking that, mate, because five grand can get you off an awful lot in the drum world, I think. That's because they're with... cheap and no one wants them. <laughs> you could literally yeah. add a zero Especially if the that. floor tom leg falls off. <laughs> exactly. But I think, I think that could be... God, there's so many subjects here. The first one I wanted to ask you is, if you had five grand, what would you buy? But the second topic of conversation might be, I feel for you guys, because, like, for me, I can pick up a 1960s Ludwig drum kit every day of the week for... To uh, 1,600 quid, my my three-piece um, kit. Okay, it was like a, a, a re-wrapped one, but, you know, fundamentally, it's a mm. 1960s kit. All day long, I could get 50s things. I mean, over here, I've got a 50s Radio King up snare drum I'm borrowing off a mate, and you could get the whole kit of this for, like, two grand. Wow. But you guys, if you're trying to get, like, a 50s Fender... You're like remortgaging the house, am I right? Yeah, you need yeah, like absolutely. twenty-five grand to do something. Absolutely, I mean that's yeah. crazy. depending on, on condition. If it's mint, you know, it could be more. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. fifty-nine Les Paul. <laughs> well, yeah, guitars are so dependent on the specifics. I could be wrong. Maybe this is the case with drums as well. But with guitars, it's not just about the year. It's about um, you know the model, who played it, why that guitar is iconic, and you can see variations within it, within even just within one year. You know, it, was it early in that year or was it late in that year? Did something happen at the brand? And that can literally be the difference of thousands of pounds. Wow, um, amazing! The '59, like you say, Phil, is the perfect example. Uh, a '59 mm. Les Paul famously would cost you something around quarter of a million pounds if you would find one yet you could pick up an earlier model than that for far less or you could go a few years later and still pay far less it's there's so many factors with guitars it really is a a kind of a, a minefield of of um prices and and who played them obviously i mean if uh, y you know i mean if if for example jimmy page hadn't have played those les pauls mm. uh, paul kossoff um, you know, w w would they, Peter Green, would they be worth what they're worth, do you think? Mm, mm. I don't know. I don't know. I guess what you're saying there, Phil, is that guitarists are just cooler than drummers because we've managed <laughs> to inflate that gear so much <laughs> higher than drums. I mean, Ringo Starr played a 60s Ludwig, but you can pick one up for 1,500 quid, so. <laughs> <laughs> but then I guess, do you think the other thing that goes with it, guys, is look, it's a collector's thing, isn't it? I mean, we know we know like loads of loads of people like um, our good friend Guy McKenzie, of course, yes. who's mm. who's got an unbelievable guy. If you're listening to this, hello, we love you, mate. Um, he's we got do. an unbelievable guitar collection, mm. but he doesn't play guitar. He's a drummer, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's the thing with guitars is look, you can get one and hang it hang mm. it on the wall where you can hardly have this bloody thing set up in the in the conservatory for your you know aunt and uncle to come around and have a look at it's not like a very convenient thing to collect is it but no, i mean look at behind you phil again the audience can't appreciate this but there mm. must be 20 guitars behind you or right there mustn't there um 36 at the minute 
<laughs> Fair enough. So, you know, um, is that a thing that, that inflates yeah. it? Your average Joe will, will pick one up for the hell of it? and Definitely. And, and also, I think probably a problem with drums is because there's mo multiple components to a drum kit. Yes. You've yeah. managed to pick things up that are have been broken up and it's very rare for a kit to stay together. You're not mm. going to get all the hardware, the cymbals, everything, where obviously a guitar... Yeah, fenders, the body and the neck can come apart. You can take pickups out. But generally, that yeah. collectability is going to be easier to find in the guitar world. It goes a little deeper with guitars. Obviously, there's there's pedals, amplifiers. Yeah. You know, trying to get like a vintage box as well can cost a, a fair fair whack as well. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is really annoying because between me and my dad, we've, we've had all this vintage stuff. I mean, my dad had a 62 Strat. He's had a he had a, a sixty four three three five. Again, going back to what Lee said, uh, sixty two. Like obviously that was the year. Um, is it in? Oh, I'm trying to think of the month now. Is it like March? Uh, prior to March, it was pre CBS or or something. That's sixty five. Nineteen sixty five. CBS took over. Yeah. See, yeah. again, and that's a funny period as well, which the value of those vintage instruments will increase a little bit more and. Yeah, they definitely. Uh, when you get into the realms of sixties and fifties guitars, they they really unless you're very fortunate and very well off they they cease to be working instruments i think most of those prices are they're collectors they've moved into the world of antiques and pricing on antiques is so variable and so dependent on all these different aspects that to often to try and figure it out unless you're a collector it is just impossible really you can find quirk there are some quirky models that for whatever reason never became collectible and if you're a working musician they're often the way to go we used to music get music master yeah exactly we used to get 50s um i think it was like the es125 gibsons like a full hollow body look like a bit like this that i've got here today single p90 and you're looking at a guitar from like 1955 but you could pick one up for 1500 quid yeah you mm. try and get a gibson les paul from that era <laughs> you know you're going to be spending a lot more so looking out for those quirks in the collectability can often mm. be a good way to go if you want to get something old. You're listening to the Guitar Heroes podcast. Has anyone got anything else that they want to mention in this very special podcast that we have with Al today before we do some plugs and give out some socials and stuff like that? I was going to ask you guys a question, if that's okay. Yeah. Quick fire question. Okay. I've got two for you. A couple of word answers. Chris, we'll start with you. Desert Island guitar. Oh, uh, silence, Fender Strat, Fender Strat, Fender Strat, absolutely. Fender Strat. I know I won't be able to plug it in. There'll probably be no electric. Desert Island amp. Still. <laughs> With the wind-up solar panel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lee, what are you going for? I'd probably say something like a Gibson J45 acoustic guitar. The thing is, you'll get... How much is it? Shut up. You won't be able to bend any strings and it'll just be, you know... Well, maybe I've got this casino hit today. I think that's a halfway house, that is, I think. It's a fully hollow electric guitar, which means that I can get a bit of acoustic volume out of it. I can't believe how light that guitar is. It's made of balsa wood, that's why. <laughs> Jesus! Go right, on, move along. Let's wrap this up. Move Go on, Phil. What's your oh, answer? I've 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 already got it. It's around my neck. It's my number one seventy strap. That everybody oh. knows that I play my white one. That that's it. Yeah. That's the it. Cream one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. When I do Hendrix and <laughs> yeah, the, that that dream guitar. You know, Phil says, "Oh, what's your dream guitar?" I've already got it. So, what was the question two? Um, I don't know if it's a quick one, guys, but if you add 
you had five grand, what are you buying? Lee, what are you buying? A ticket out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't, you'd just see the back of me and I'd be gone. See you later. <laughs> Fair Five enough. grand, is that all it'd take? I can preview that now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please do. <laughs> no, I don't know. I would, um, there's a few things on my, my list. Uh, like we've said, it'd be so easy to just splash that on one guitar because ideally I would like something old. I'd, I'd probably look for that vintage Gibson J45 or a Martin. I've always wanted a real old acoustic because I think there's something magic about an acoustic that's got some years under its belt. You can really see the play wear on it. it, it it sounds cliche, but you can see the stories in the guitar. So it wouldn't necessarily be a gigger, but to have a living room J45 with 30, 40 years of life under its belt, that would be amazing for me. Mm. Go on, Chris. What are you going for? Yeah, I think I'd do something similar. Um, yeah, an old like semi-hollow acoustic, something like an old Hofner like Senator thing, but maybe like a Gibson range or some kind. I think just, you know, you come home from from a you know a week of gigging or something just uh just kind of bring you down to zero just sit there in, the, in like moody lights in your lounge or something you know glass of wine or port um mm. yeah just with an acoustic absolutely heaven i think um yeah five grand would go um wouldn't go very far i don't think i'd um i'd probably buy a gold-plated ukulele with a chaos pad in it <laughs> <laughs> You know, like Matt Bellamy from Muse. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I've been dying to say this all night. Shut up, Al. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the listeners are thinking the same. Yeah. I think five, uh, grand, on, Phil, for what... me, five grand for me, Al, would be a case for my white strap. Oh, lovely. <laughs> no, no, I think I would. I would. I've got the guitars I need. I don't, you know, the only guitars that I'm ever buying from now on, I think, for the foreseeable future, one's for the show. Uh, I've just bought a new yeah. one for the show. Um, but uh, on a personal level, I think I will put the money into an amp. Um, I, I love Dr. Z amps, so I will probably... Mm. Brad um, Paisley's a big user as well, and I know you love Brad Paisley. Yeah, is, is that yeah. why you'd go Dr. Z, do you think? Or? I've heard other people use Dr. Z's. I've heard one live. Um, I was doing sound uh, a few years ago at um, uh, the Exchange in Sturminster Newton, and that, uh, and the guy there had a red Dr. Z amp on stage. And uh, believe it or not, I kept telling him to turn it up when I took him out of the PA because he just sounded so good. Mm. Um, Brad Paisley once said, um, he said, oh, it's a shame that people listen to my amp through microphones on CDs. He says people don't actually get to hear the quality of it in a room. Mm. You know, and, and yeah, I get that. So if it, I'd spend the money on an amp because I've got all the guitars I need. Right, well, yeah, let's yep. uh, let's wrap this up, fellas, because um, I'm sure people have got lots to do out there whilst they're living their lockdown lives. Should I just say, by the way, optimistic news about this vaccine. Yeah. It looks like we might get our industry back next year, so fingers crossed mm. for that. Let's hope everything moves forward positively. Absolutely. Thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. We really do hope it's bringing you some enjoyment through these days where we can't get out there and enjoy live music. Um, if you want to find us on Instagram, you can search Phil Walker Guitar, Lee Troy Guitar, and Chris Anthony Guitar. And Alan, you're on Instagram as well. We can yep, find just you. Just my personal account, just Alan Varnfield. Alan Varnfield, V A R N F I E L D. And you can find yes. us on Facebook as well. So that is Phil Walker Guitarist, Lee Williams Guitarist, and it is Chris Anthony Guitar on Facebook. And you can probably find out on there. But maybe... Alan Varnfield. <laughs> <laughs> Just Google Alan Varnfield, everybody. 
No, in you'll fact, don't Google Facebook. Alan Brownfield. You don't know <laughs> no, what you're going to find. You really don't want you'll to do find that. You'll find a oh, Dorset yeah. Police article. Please dismiss that. <laughs> and not forgetting the Story of Guitar Heroes as well, which um, on Facebook, search Story of Guitar Heroes. On Instagram, search Story of Guitar Heroes. And on YouTube, search Phil Walker Guitarist. There we go, folks. I, th- mm. I think that's a wrap, chaps. I think we're, yeah. I think we're done. That was good fun. Everyone have yeah. fun. It was Thanks great for having fun. me, chaps. The fun's wearing enough because my port's gone now. I've drunk a whole bottle of port <laughs> through this. <laughs> be sure to subscribe, like I say, and keep an eye out because we'll be uploading the next episode shortly. Goodbye. Mm. Goodbye. <laughs> We're rubbish at goodbyes, aren't we? <laughs> I just don't want to say goodbye. I just <laughs> stay here forever. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, there's a good way of getting everybody out. Your tea's ready. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, guys. See you next time. (laughs) Bye.